uh, we're back after a not quite quiet summer break. We're back with Formula 2 and Formula 3 discussions on the Formula Scout podcast. I'm joined by Roger Gascoigne, who was at a not quite as wet spa as the last time he was there, and Alejandro Alonso Lopez, who was doing a lot of coverage not at spa. So, um, hi guys. How, Roger, how was spa? Uh, yes, very, very enjoyable. As you said, it's nice to uh, not sit in the rain for 15 hours or 12 hours or whatever and uh, and to actually see a race uh, in the Formula 1. But uh, And it was good to have uh, Formula 3 and Formula 2 on the programme, as, as last year was only Formula 3. So there was uh, a f- full entertainment from early morning till... Uh, Till the evening, and I think, uh, well, particularly the Formula Three, I think were were some very, uh, very entertaining races. Formula Two also had uh, had some interesting aspects, and uh, Formula One was obviously over by lap fifteen or whatever. But uh, so luckily, I think we're going to discuss the Formula Three and Formula Two parts, which is good. Yeah, I, I missed the Formula One, and honestly, I don't regret it. So um, for, we'll start with Formula 2, which was um, seemed a little bit less chaotic than the Formula 3 from the outside. The Liam Lawson won the sprint race and Jack Dewan, um taking the win in the feature race and was also pretty good in the sprint race. And we had Ralph Boschon back. Um, one of you guys spoke to him, but I'm not quite sure who. So whoever spoke to him, how was he? And... How 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 did you rate the Formula Three race? I, th- I think we both spoke to Ralph Boschong. Um, I um, seemed to bump into him whenever I turned a corner in the paddock. Uh, so we we met quite a few times. Um, but uh, and I, I think definitely uh, certainly in in the sprint race, I think Ralph Boschong was was one of the performers uh, of the weekend. Obviously, we've been monitoring and, and we've written a few things on uh, obviously his his neck injury and his progress back from that. And I think we've been, you know, keeping our fingers crossed for him. So it was very good to see him back. You know, we, we put something on the website that before the race, he was a bit uh, concerned about whether it would it would last. But um seemed to hold on on pretty well and um, to get through without any side effects. I think that's uh, that's obviously very good news. Um, as you said, it, it was a little bit less manic than, than the Formula 3. And uh, I, I think both winners were, were thoroughly deserving uh, of, of their victories. And the, in the sprint race, Liam Lawson just seemed to have pace to spare and was... was uh, seemed to have the race comfortably under control once he once he got in front, and uh, seemed to be in a in a different league really to uh, to everybody else. I suppose in the uh, in, in the feature again, Jack Doohan through the through strategy, obviously uh, moved moved ahead of of, of Drogovic, and uh, again. Looked looked perfectly in control. Good, strong, solid performance. 
again i think we we've covered this on the website and there's a lot of good material on there for people to read but uh for me really looked extremely uh, under control extremely professional um never looked like making a mistake and, and certainly showed signs of somebody with the maturity to uh to progress to a to a high level so um yeah definitely definitely very very well deserved for for each of those um i suppose other talking points were obviously the mechanical issues particularly for teo porsche um which you know I, I suspect we we may look back and say well spa decided the formula one and the formula two championship titles for for drivers um but i think you know we can have a a wider discussion on some of those mechanical mechanical issues and you know, the impact they do have on junior drivers careers um particularly when it's so close at the front yeah it uh, must be frustrating i think if poor chair i don't it had no bad luck he wouldn't have any luck at all um it was it was the undercut for loss for sorry for doing if i remember correctly but he didn't have it all his own way. He he caught onto the back of Amory Cordial, who was working the harder compounder tyres, so staying out. And he he was not um, too happy about that, was he, Alejandro? No, he wasn't actually. I asked him about that, and he kind of said that he couldn't understand why. Cordil was defending so hard over that lap because it was just one lap. But Felipe Drugovic was able to close a gap of 4.5 seconds. I think it was at that point when Duhan just got on the tail of, of Cordil at the com and then he spent there all the second sector and big power of the third sector and finally got through at the bus stop chicane. And then he had Duhan had also Marino Sato ahead, his teammate, which I was not sure if I was surprised Marino didn't get out of the way immediately. I mean I kind of expected that he he Marino gave a tow to Jack in, in the camel straight but then moved to one side to to let him go and and not give a toe to Felipe, but he stayed on, on the line and both Jack and Felipe benefited from, from Marino's toe and both got through. So after that lap, Felipe was right behind Jack, although Jack could quite easily open the gap again and and control the race from, from the lead. I mean, uh, Felipe after the race said that he was expecting kind of that situation because he he felt more confident on softer tires than on the medium tires. So after what they what we saw on on Saturday, which was Felipe running mid pack without closing on on the cars in in front, and then stopping for soft tires and making an impressive comeback which also the difference the tire difference made a, a big point there because 
it was uh, almost new soft against uh, an old medium, but it kind of felt that the soft tire was the right tire for his MP for car. So after the, after the first thing, he really had not much else to do and considering Teo was out of the race because of mechanical issues, he didn't really push or over push for it because it wasn't worth risking a, a DNF. And speaking about mechanicals, of course, all three drivers in the in the press conference after the picture race mentioned that there they also suffered mechanical issues in, in the cars. Liam said that he, he had them in qualifying, having some issues with his gearbox. Same happened to Jack Duhan, who couldn't use third gear properly. He said that he was feeling a, a lot of power loss there. He was on, on third gear, so either he had to run high reps on second gear, gear or short shift to fourth. And on them, Felipe Drugovic said that in the information lab, his engine cut and wouldn't, wouldn't get going, but at the end, it could clear, clear up the, the dust within the engine and inside the engine and keep going for the race, but he said that he was quite worried he could stop somewhere on track. So yeah, it was a, a tense race for everyone on the track. You guys have both spoken to the drivers a lot over the season. You've both spoken to Djokovic a lot over the season. Do you think we'll ever get to a point where he's kind of like managing the title fight because there's always that chance of a mechanical DNF or is he always going to push um, to get that win thinking I might next time I might lose 25 points for no reason or is how how is he handling this this managing the title Alejandro, do you want to go yeah well I mean I think he's played it quite smart throughout the season he, he the times I've spoken to him he's been he says he's relaxed about it he's not over pushing so he's maximizing his opportunities which have been great of course he has had a, a fast car until now and he still has it I mean we kind of doubted in in the recent rounds that he might have lost some speed because the results weren't there but again this weekend he took pole, he claimed pole position. He then finished second in the in the future race, fourth in the sprint race, which is a big amount of points. So yeah, I think he's kind of managing it. Of course, not taking it in a in a very relaxed way, you know, because you can if you go so so calm, you've got an issue that you get overtaken by, by many cars. There is that, that kind of situation where you try to avoid all possible risks but by not placing the car right or letting people go. And someone who's a bit far back and knows that and sees that, go for it. And at the end, it ends up in, in a clash or something and undesirable. And it's, it's nowhere. So hey, I think he's been playing smart because... At the start, he has taken 
some risks at, at some point. We've seen that in in some runs at Hungary, also in France, he, he made some moves and at the start. But also he's been managing the races, he hasn't been over pushing and making mistakes on, on track. So yeah, I say he's managing it, but not like massively managing it that he, he won't go for, for wins just for points. Yeah, I, I spoke to the team. I was speaking to to Jeremy Cottrell and I asked asked him the, the question, you know, have have you already started, you know, playing the points game and thinking for the championship? Have you changed your approach? This was before before the race. And uh the the team basically said the same what, what Alejandro has just said, that uh, they didn't feel they'd made any any change in approach to play it cautious that the field was so competitive that if you if you did back off suddenly you know you're 15th so um they they felt that they hadn't changed anything obviously they may take a slightly different approach after spa but um you know that was their feeling before the race it i can't i it takes a lot of managing, not managing, might not be the right word, but a lot of get being in the right place. That's also not the right phrase. Understanding how the championship works to win a championship. We saw it last, last year in F2 with Piastri of making the most of when things aren't, aren't in your lap. Um, there was one more talking point from F2 I wanted to bring up, which was outside of the title fight, um, uh, the feature race, Fitzpaldi and Lawson. Uh, F2 feature race was one of the only races that I caught this weekend, and it was brilliant, and then Fitzpaldi got penalised for it. Um, fair penalty, not fair penalty, what did you guys make of make of that? Yeah, I, I, I mean, he he did the same manoeuvre so many times. I, I'm not exactly sure which of the ones it was that he was penalised for, but um, I mean, he seemed, I think, mainly with Lawson, and, and I think there was also another another case where you know, basically going through Lake Com generally would would cut the corner, come back out in come back in front, and sort of carry on. Um, and I think then he when he did give up the position, it was probably deemed to be too late. So he, he lost out. He lost out twice. Uh, I mean, I think Fittipaldi has been, uh, I mean, actually one of the stars of the season and, and has been very, obviously very consistent. And uh, it's, it seemed to go a little bit, uh, a little bit haywire on, on Sunday um, with, with you know, some of those defensive, defensive moves and I think Lawson was uh was obviously a little bit upset by it all so I mean it, it does raise the question you know how quickly do you have to give back a position um if you're going to give it back and uh you know probably uh <clears throat> pro probably it's 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 fair enough but uh, it is a it is a gray line um uh, I would I would also say as, as the the last race that I went to was the Red Bull Ring and we had a a whole podcast more or less on track limits, but it was quite nice to uh 
go to a race where you know there weren't really any track limit discussions so no white lines that's uh whether that's uh the the new um the new circuit or i mean certainly compared to the red bull ring very very few so um and i guess you know the fittipaldi various various incidents were were the main ones but uh they did relatively kept themselves under control Yeah, well, you mentioned track limits. Indeed, there there were way less track limits than in in previous rounds. But the fact that we had still tarmac runoffs at at last corner and also there are lecons gave room for for some interesting moves and some interesting discussions because uh, also we had many drivers cutting the the chicane uh, Alecom and then also it was like at the beginning of the weekend uh, and I felt like also in, in both sprint races for both Formula 2 and, and Formula 3 I, I felt like drivers weren't using the exit of the of the last corner that much but in the future race we, we saw many drivers well not, perhaps not many but several drivers both in Formula 2 and Formula 3 getting warnings for exceeding track limits there so yeah it was great somehow great to to see drivers committing to to the black area the gray area of the track itself but there is still i think some work to do some gravel missing there at, at the common at last corner because we saw it the, the gravel trap at la source at turn one was was brilliant. I mean, we didn't even have people bench the beach there in at the start, so it worked perfectly. We had action at the start, but no people beached there. So I think we we actually it, the track actually proved that it's possible to have gravel traps as runoffs and and not have incidents and cars stuck. So that that was a positive point from the weekend, I think. Since, since you brought it up, um, Roger, um, Alejandro brought it up, but Roger, your, uh, do, does Spa's um, changes get your approval? Now we've seen F2, F3 and I guess sort of an F1 race there. Um, yes, I, I think it's, it's more, uh, probably more from the, the I don't think it makes a big difference to the track. Um, I guess the most notable, as, as Alejandro just mentioned, is is the the gravel at, at La Source. But um, I, I don't think that the the track made a, a big difference. Uh, there was some discussion about you know where it's been resurfaced and the the impact on tire wear and particularly, but that's difficult to know because of the changing weather conditions during the day or during the weekend. Um, I guess we didn't, there weren't any incidents at Radeon, so it's, it wasn't really, luckily, I suppose. So there weren't really any any cases of, of seeing the impact of that. But uh, I think from a spectator point of view, it, um, it was definitely uh, 
definitely the improvements were uh, were noticeable. So um, hopefully it hasn't all been in vain and, and we'll go back more than once, but uh, we, shall, we shall see. Yeah, it was good to see the news that we're um, Formula One will be going back to Spa next year, for for at least next year, hopefully longer. If not, if not F1, then there will undoubtedly be Junior Series racing there at some point, or of a sports car. So Spa will continue racing even if F1 doesn't go there. Um, moving on, sorry, to Formula Three, where Ollie Beerman won the sprint race with. Um, and Dave Maloney won the feature race. It was um, a bit of a disappointing weekend for the three title contenders. Um, the two joint title contenders said, um, I think I think Leclerc was the highest qualifying P20 or something like that. So, um, and then a great climb up through the fields for Leclerc in, in both races, I believe. So, um, Roger, what did you what did you make of the of the F three race and the I haven't mentioned it yet, but the many accidents that there were. Yeah, they were difficult to know where to start. Really, I mean, it was uh, action action aplenty, as as you say. I think uh, obviously having um, Leclerc had your Martins at the at the back. Uh, and, and Jack Crawford obviously spinning off on on the first first lap of qualifying. So um, also at the back, you know, that really, really shook up the order that they were so far behind that obviously wasn't even close to in getting a reverse grid uh, uh, front start. So, um, and as you said, Leclerc was probably the best of the overtakers, I think, Certainly in the in the sprint race, but there were also so many incidents that uh, there, there was quite a lot happening and, and places to be made up. But it, I mean, it it's really opened up the championship. Um, uh, opened up in the say in the sense that it's closed the gap. So I mean, Ollie is now just one point, I think, behind Hadja. Um, really. You know, I don't think you could you could get much more from the weekend where you've got uh, a reverse grid arrangement, and uh, um, so he he was very impressive in in both races and fighting through to the front in the sprint race, and uh, Roman Stanjek as as well, who I think was was actually pretty unlucky in in the qualifying that he'd been kind of. Um, which were changeable conditions, which caught out those, those runners we talked about. But it'd been, you know, every lap was half a second quicker than than the quickest time. And he was probably at the front of the field. And then on the last lap, um, he sort of came round and was starting his last lap. And there was a yellow in the first sector, <laughs> which meant he couldn't improve. I'm not sure whether others, you know, backed off less. But um, certainly, also good good results for him. So really, we've got five, maybe six, if you include Crawford, in with a shout for the for the rest of the year, um, or for the the final the final two um, two rounds of Zambort and, and Monza. Um, as as you said, there were incidents aplenty, and and you know we talked about the runoff at Lake Combe. I think it was the feature race when. 
the first three all disappeared over the over the runoff and uh, basically um, pushed uh, poor Francesco Pizzi off the track and then uh, or he had to go off the track to avoid them and then he seemed to get clattered by different people at different stages so uh, having qualified third which was which was mighty impressive um and, and there were other dri drivers who who were very impressive obviously uh Oliver Goethe um had that nasty accident in the, in the sprint race but to qualify fourth and to not look uh phased by the position you know in his second outing in in FIA Formula 3 and uh I think William Alatalo was was flying in in both races. He was sort of kicking himself. He'd made a bit of a mistake at the restart in in the sprint, but um, looked to have the speed. So there was some. It was good to see some different names fighting at the front. Um, and I think with five or six, you know, realistic championship contenders, it is uh, it's heating up in a in a way that Formula Two seems to not be at the moment. Said um, the spa might looking back spa might be the deciding race in the F two um, title fight, but it might it, it could be Leclerc's drive up through the field. I think he got points in both races. If considering how tight the championship is this year, it could be the um, it could have been drives like that and drives where you do just score one or two points, that could come back and 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 decide the title. Um, Alejandro, what did you make of the um, of the racing? I mean, there was a lot of action, definitely, as, as Roger said, especially in race one, spring race, with, with the crash and all that Roger has already explained. So I'll just say there, there were... They were fun, just you know, fun too much and that. I'd like to say that for me, it's the first edge drivers classified in, in the standings are, are in the championship fight. I would even consider Smolier, uh, Alex Smolier for, for MP, a title contender because as we've seen, it's so easy to, as we've seen in, in the last two rounds, it's so easy to get qualifying session wrong that going into Sambor, which is presum presumably a, a track where it's very difficult to, to overtake if we have a situation like we had in, in a spa or at the hangar ring where the, the the grid order is quite mixed up, we could have someone like Smolia at the front again perhaps and then have would pick up lots of points and, and the others pick none because it's Sambor is definitely not spa for overtaking. So I say the, the title fight it's is for now still on until uh, for Smolier as well and also for, for all the others ahead of him. And then yeah, that's that's pretty much all I, I have to say. I think qualifying at both the remaining races is going to be pretty exciting. Um, so they're short sessions, as as Alejandro just said. You know, obviously Zanvoort 
there was overtaking last year in Formula 3, but um, it's still not easy. Um, so there's going to be a lot of pressure there. If, if you screw up and you're the back of the grid, then you know to do a sort of Leclerc-style charge through the field is going to be pretty well impossible. Um, and Monza, I think we can expect the same as the Red Bull ring, where it's it's like a sort of cycling pursuit race or whatever they're called, where you know basically everybody just stops and waits for somebody to take the lead. So I think the Monza qualifying with the 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 benefit of the slipstream and and Behrman was saying, you know, how how strongly the impact of the slipstream was um at spa um so you know i think we can see the same expect the same at, at monza so the qualifyings are going to be crucial um there are definitely a lot of drivers that can still be up there mp seem to have uh seem to have have mastered it with uh when when the conditions are wet so they seem to be uh flying when when it's raining not sure what the forecast is for Zandvoort. Um, so there are plenty, plenty that can challenge and mix things up. I think, you know, just with the reverse grid, unless people are qualifying so far down, then, you know, you tend to score points in, in one or the other races. So this was just unusual that, you know, four of the front runners were were sort of 20th and, and lower, 20th to 30th, which um, probably doesn't happen too much. Yeah, it's uh, we also saw some of the some of the stars I think stars of next year probably more than this year with Maloney coming through and taking that feature race win and Goethe who won't be at won't be at Zandvoort this weekend. He is in your formula which is back in action. Um I cannot remember where because there's so much going on this weekend. Uh, I'll quickly cover off um the Formula Four races we had. Um, we had Japanese Formula 4 with Yuzuki, I apologise in advance, but Yuzuki Mitsu, who reclaims the championship lead with two wins, and British Formula 4, where you will be shocked to find out Alex Dunn won twice. Um, he is now, um, he took, took his 11th win of the season, which makes, which means he overtakes Jamie Caroline in the number in the record for most wins in a British Formula 4 season. Caroline, who beat Oscar Piastri to the title a few years back, so um, rewriting some important history there. Um, and uh, Oliver Stewart also won the reverse grid race. Um, you will not be surprised to find out. Alex Dunn still leads that championship. There are approximately a million things going on this weekend. We've got Formula 2, Formula 3, um, your Formula, as I said, Alejandro, just before me, it's in Imola. We've got Indy Lights, Indy Pro, USF 2000 over in America, Spanish Formula 4, um, approximately 100 other Formula 4 championships. And you'll be able to follow it all on whatever is going on. You'll be able to follow it on Formula Scout. Um, also on Formula Scout, I forgot to mention it with Formula 2, we have a really good analysis piece from Peter Allen about um, the how the Alpine mess might have worked in the favour of our latest feature race winner, Jack Dewan. And that's a really interesting feature you should check out if um, 
this goes ahead if this goes out before we find out the results of the very exciting contract recognition board um, I think even if we do know the results we know that um, Piastri might not be in, in, Piastri isn't going to be in the LPC next year so Dewan might still have a chance there but um, that's all from me today um, all from Bodger and Alejandro I, I presume and I will, we will catch you next time for another Formula Scout podcast.